0: Back to Movie Fail podcast. I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do you have a an opinion on the fact that, um, say, uh, Marvel doesn't have the rights to X Men? Um, do you like that they're separate universes? Do you like that Marvel can't tap that resource at all? I
1: or- mean, I think Marvel is. I don't think Marvel needs it for what they're doing, and I kind of find it hard to imagine what how having the X Men would change or improve their franchise significantly. Right. Um, because the X-Men is just, it's such a broad thing. It's not like just, it's a movie about Iron Man, and this, he is Iron Man, and he might have like a sidekick, but for the most part, it's this guy. Um, yeah, it, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. It it—it like it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, it's, not like a, it's not like Spider-Man, where I kind of feel like, it's, I think Marvel could probably do better with Spider-Man than, Uh, Sony is doing and it definitely Spider-Man has more of a place in that universe than the X-Men do well the Um, X-Men
0: I mean the thing about the X-Men what I what I would like personally is that um, you can't do with what what Marvel's what Fox has done with X-Men and have them connect that that won't work you could have I think the Mark Webb uh, Spider-Man crossover with um, Marvel's universe and you'd you'd probably be alright problem is the X-Men span 40-50 40-50 years of history that they keep changing and altering and reworking and yada 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 and, and, and also the mutants as a concept are a whole threat and there's this whole political system going on and all of that is big in the Marvel Universe and um, you know you'll have the same general you know getting in the way of the X-Men but being like supportive of the Avengers or whatever there'll be a lot of overlap in that respect but that has to be like intentional and found you know the foundation that has to really build up Whereas Spider-Man has his own little world going on in New York with Norman Osborn and all of that stuff. So it's a little bit more insular, so you can have an overlap and not have such a big deal um, in terms of, like, continuity errors. But, like, you couldn't have Hugh Jackman's Wolverine just jump into the Avengers, even though he joins the Avengers at some point. Like, the actual... I'm sure everyone joins
1: the Avengers at some point. (laughs)
0: At some point. I mean, they all have, like, bit roles, but but Wolverine is a pretty big one, and Spider-Man has, like stints with the Avengers, um, but he's a kid, so, like, that's a whole thing, too, it's the, uh, age dynamic there, um, but yeah, no, I agree, I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's also, and I, you know, because the X-Men are their own thing, and they're like, they're, you know, every time, there's a lot of situations in the Avengers, or in the MCU, where you'd be like, well, what about the mutants, what about the mutants, uh, <laughs> you know, there's mutants everywhere, why aren't you talking about them, or why aren't they helping out, or why isn't there something going on there, or have you not found any mutants yet, or, you know... Um, in agents of shield they keep talking about there's like there's no such thing as a tel- as a telepath there's no such thing as a telepath they keep that's like a running theme in the uh show and up all the way up through the end of the the first season um and they keep talking about there's no such thing as a telepath and it's just funny because like obviously one of the most famous x-men is a telepath <laughs> so um to keep saying that over and over again is like there's no x-men in this universe <laughs> um so i thought that was kind of funny um but uh, but it's cool because by keeping it separate, it, you know, X-Men gets to do its own thing. They don't have to worry about the the sort of the symbolism of the superheroes and everything like that getting in the way of what they're doing as X-Men. Um, so I, I think the only characters I really wish Marvel could at least work with, even if they don't have control over them, would be Spider-Man and maybe even the Fantastic Four. But the X-Men are their own weird, very large, very huge, unit. I mean, there's hundreds of X-Men, so... And non X Men, just mutants in general.
1: Yeah, I think the size of just the concept of mutants and of X Men, you know, not to mention the, not just the X Men, the mutant versus human struggle, but the mutant inter struggle. Right. It's just it's a big enough concept on its own. that yeah, I don't think like, sure. there's no room for it in what Marvel's currently doing. Unlike like something like Spider Man, um, which could pretty easily slot in. So yeah, it's you know, obviously. I'm happy with whoever does best with it. Right, of course. But I don't think Marvel, like, if Marvel just tried to shoehorn it into the their Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would not be excited about that at all, I don't think.
0: I wouldn't be now. I think, I, you know, if they got the rights back, I could see them throwing it on the back burner for a good, you know, ten years before they even, you know, say, like, ooh, we just found a mutant, you know. <laughs> um, because I think they just, they don't it doesn't work in what they, you know, wasn't in the game plan for them. And, and that's, that's fine. I think that it's, it's cool to have them as sort of separate, uh, continuities. And by the way, the one thing I really like about each studio getting their own sort of couple of franchises to work with is that, um, now we have what we have in the comics all the time where you have, like, for example, in DC you have the New 52, uh, DC comics where you have completely different versions of Batman and Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, all these characters. Then we had, in the previous, um, you know, series and, and you have, you know, there are whole graphic novels like long Halloween and, and all these famous Batman graphic novels that are all still about Batman, but they're all different takes, different universes. Um, Frank Miller has his own weird little universe, um, which we can talk about a little bit later when we talk about Nolan. Um, but it's cool because we're getting that in, in the theater too. You know, this is, they're both, they're all Spider-Man and they're all Marvel universes. Uh, the MCU, and and X-Men, they're all Marvel universes, but they're all very different approaches to the style and everything. Um, The one thing that I would appreciate though with X-Men is they're really big on talking about the mutant struggle and the mutant struggle and everything, and they talk about it a lot saying it, but unlike, say, Captain America, where they're like, no, we're going to connect this to real world things that's going on, that are actually going on. Make it more overt as it is in the comics. Um, I mean, they did it a little bit where they talked about um, they talk about eric lencher's sort of past with the holocaust uh but i would be even more appreciative if they would go into the parallels that a lot of people have drawn since and were intentional in the beginning between mutants and um uh mutants and and like civil rights and sexuality and religion and a lot of things that are very um of course, completely still pertinent and and relatable and interesting and and interesting to talk about. And it would be really cool to have a a superhero franchise not commenting on political things like Marvel tends to do, but um, even in agents of shield, by the way, they go into the NSA and it's a whole thing. Uh, So like, they're really like, no, we're literally this is our thing. We're talking about current politics, Um, but to have a series that's about social, you know, problems and things that are going on. I think that would be really interesting. There's a very cool comic panel that I read once from one of the X-Men comics, where, um, there's, like, a conversation, I think, between Shadowcat and another character, and someone, one of them calls the other one a mutie, which is, like, a slur, and that's a thing, and then it turns into, you know, like, you don't even know what I've been through or whatever, and she goes, you know, like, I'm Jewish, and, like, it's, it's, like, a very clear parallel, and they make a really intense... Uh, sort of combination, um, a really intense sort of parallel between these two these two uh, struggles. And I think that would be really cool to do uh, on the big screen, and they have n- absolutely not even tried that yet. Uh, it's, I think they might feel it's too serious. But they also had a whole freaking uh, movie in the 60s and didn't even bother to address any civil rights stuff. They just went straight to... Cuban Missile Crisis dealt with it, and then 10 years later... <laughs> That's a good point, actually.
1: You know what? That's funny. I didn't even consider that. That seemed like such an obvious right? direction to go with it.
0: Yeah, they just don't even... They're like, no, we're not even going to try. I although, mean, part, I part of it, props
1: for actually doing something with the 60s time period, because Days of Future Past does nothing with the 70s, really.
0: It doesn't, although the, when Wolverine first arrives, I I thought that scene was... The whole thing was great, especially when he gets the keys and sees the car. That was funny. Yeah, that was that I was like amusing. And by the way, I the one thing I liked about that scene um, that was uh, even though it was very similar to other movies, you know, we've seen that bullet squeezing the bullet out thing so many times, but I liked it here because it actually hurt him because he doesn't have the adamantium skeleton, so <laughs> the bullets like he has to regenerate like his bone, you know, and it really he's does not look happy at all and he's he takes the bullets at first cuz he's like, "Oh, it'll be no big deal. It'll just go through the skin and then hit the metal and then but like it it hurts. Um and he still regenerates. It's all fine, but it's a it's a more of a intense sort of sequence. And I also liked him having the bone claws in this because he tries doing ridiculous things like he does in the future movies. Um just charging at people because he has claws that can cut through anything and you know, he's basically invincible, uh, but he has bullet, uh, he has a bone claws, and so when he, like, slices into things, it's really uncomfortable, it hurts a lot, it doesn't cut through anything, and it's just miserable, uh, and you can see him sort of wincing in pain, and, and to me, that was a, that was a cool little, like, yes, we always do this, but this is, like, a new twist on that, um, that sort of thing, but, yeah, so, in, in any case, I, I think that, but it was
1: sidebar, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, go can for you it. explain to me why he has adamantium claws again in the future?
0: Um, oh, because, I mean, they do that little, uh, shot at the end where William Stryker still finds him at the bottom of the river, and so they But that's Mystique,
1: that's not Stryker. Oh, it is Mystique, yeah. Because you see her
0: eyes flash. That's a good point, um... And I
1: mean, like, I mean, like, in the dystopian future. Like, he got all the adamantium sucked off his skeleton and the wolverine, but then ditched back.
0: Oh, oh, yes. In terms of the, the future stuff, I, I honestly have no idea what, um... (laughs) I, I I just don't know, like, I, I haven't even thought about it, I'd have to really go back and figure that out. Yeah, and the Wolverine, um, sort of went in one ear out the other, so, uh, you know, I'll have to go back and try and suss that out. When is the Wolverine even supposed to happen? What
1: when- I don't know, that's the other thing, it's like, because the after credit scene of that movie, and that's something else we can talk about, I guess, um, it's all, it's, for Professor X and Magneto come to him and they're like, yo, there's this big threat and we need you. And the world seems perfectly normal in that scene. And then it's gone all to hell in the beginning of this movie. So I have no idea where it's supposed to slot.
0: Right. I think the explanation for that in X-Men Origins, which by the way, there's a lot of stuff in X-Men Origins they just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> um, even though, you know, retcons aside. Um, and I think that really the explanation for Origins and for the Wolverine is simply they wanted a Hugh Jackman movie and they made one. And then they made another one. And that was pretty much it. Which is stupid. Not a good reason. Not a good excuse. Nothing. But I think that's the explanation that we're going to get. Even though, like I said, the um, Weapon X program, everything with Origins, uh, all of those mutants that they sort of half-ass in that movie and all of the things that happen in Wolverine, uh, the Wolverine with Silver Samurai and and Japan and all these cool ideas um, are really compelling in the right hands and could have become something really interesting. It's just they don't do what they could with them. So um, it's really a question of, like, they went with scripts and did their own thing uh, to quickly make the most bankable movie they could. By putting him on the front cover and that was pretty much it, without considering, hey, we've got a really good story here. How can we get a good script and how can we figure this out to make it something that people actually will enjoy? So, um I think that's I think that's that, and so when people like bring up inconsistencies with the Wolverine and with Origins, I'm like, you know it's not that I'm I'm not excusing it, but I also just like those movies are like sidebar nonsense Hugh Jackman vehicles.
1: But it's so but it leads directly into this one, which is why I was confused. Well,
0: I mean, like I said, it, it sort of leads into it insofar as it got people into the theater for Days of Future Past, not so much that it's an actual continuity thing. Well, I guess
1: that's part of my problem, that it's like, if you're sacrificing that just for the sake of marketing, that get that bugs oh, me. Oh,
0: it, it should bug you, but about The Wolverine, but not for Days of Future Past. I think Days of Future Past did exactly what it wanted to do. Look, I mean, the other thing, and this, again... I'm, I don't want to, like, set the bar lower just because they're comic book movies, but jumping into a future setting where everything's post-apocalyptic and things are gone to hell, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I accept it. All right, fine, that's the way things are now. <laughs> I was, I just saw it, and I was like, fine, I, I don't care. Like, I wasn't thinking about the other movies. I wasn't thinking about what happened previously. I was like, all right. And then I just, you know, I was like, oh, that's the premise, so now you've... Because it's, cause it's the other thing, too, is while this movie does retcon a lot of things it also stands, in my opinion i felt like it stands on its own and movies should stand on their own right so for me if i just came to this movie with no recollection and by the way it's been a long time since i've seen any of the future x-men movies you know x3 came out 2008 or something it was a long 2006, time Two thousand six, i think 2006 and then two and one were like three 2003 2004 maybe 2001 so like it was a long time ago so for me I haven't seen these things in a long time, so, you know, they're like, all right, it's a post-apocalyptic future.
1: All right. <laughs> so I was just like, okay.
0: And then, fine, we got to deal with it, so you're going to send Wolverine back. I was just like, I... I I didn't have a justification for it, per se. Um, I know that... I know things get really bad for mutants in the comics constantly. They're constantly fighting these awful wars um, with, you know, humans and, and things like that, and, and this happens all the time, so I just sort of bought it. Um, but I understand. The other thing is we're very used to the MCU that tries to justify every element of the universe over and over again to really be like, no, it's okay. No, look, Thor is really a part of the same universe as Iron Man. Really. Um, and Wolverine... and there's not Wolverine. Uh, Thor wasn't here because he was stuck in Asgard, and that's why he wasn't helping out with the Mandarin and, you know, whatever. They're, whatever, you know, crazy nonsense they make up to... To work for it, but at a certain point, even I think it was Chris Hemsworth himself who was like, um, I could be misquoting here, It was I don't remember who it was, but I think it was Chris Hemsworth who was like, you know, sometimes you've just, we've just got to make these movies and, and people will be like, well, why wasn't Iron Man helping, or why wasn't Blah 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 helping, and there's no real explanation because in the comics they just don't really come up with a reason, they just, you know, they're doing their own thing, and, and you know, it's like he likes that about the movies because they both come together but also stand on their own as their own sort of little mini-franchise things. Uh, and so for me, that's what I feel like with these, these movies. And because I feel like days of future passes more of a first class sequel than a last stand sequel. Um, so it, to me, it worked to me. It worked.
1: Yeah. I like, I, I definitely, I see where you're coming from, but you know, <laughs> like that's something that's bad about comics. I think.
0: <laughs> like, and that's like, why okay, comics are dumb.
1: Well, <laughs> no, well, okay. The reason comics can do that though. Because comics have an, this established tradition, not just of not caring about their continuity, but of like this "what if" issue or like the the, the idea of the one shot, where like all right, for one issue, we're going to tell this story, and it doesn't actually have any bearing, but we just want to tell this story. But movies can't do that, and I think that's why the,
0: why can't they? that's what but I don't counterintuitively
1: get. I think that's the reason this movie doesn't stand on its own because it uses that concept to aggressively. um attack the franchise in both directions and fix things you know both that have already happened and also set things up for the future so it doesn't it doesn't really stand on its own at at all even though it's using that kind of uh
0: comic book uh way of going about things yeah but you're you're saying it doesn't stand on its own but what i'm saying is that have if you hadn't seen any x-men movies prior to this it would work fine. You just happen to know that it's talking about the franchise for I, a I, lot of the movies. I don't
1: movie. think it would be, it have, be able to make any sense out of this movie. I <laughs>
0: <am>. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I would like to test that theory, but I don't really have a way to do that. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory in a lot of ways. Um, the, only thing that, the only thing I would say is that um, there are characters that aren't reintroduced again. Um, And I think the Marvel movies do this really well, where you can jump into, say, uh, Winter Soldier, and Steve Rogers is introduced in that first scene where he's running, and you get the entirety of his character very quickly. He's out of time, you know, he's, he's from the 40s, he doesn't know what's going on, he's a super soldier, he's Captain America. Boom. Done. Whereas we don't get that for, like, old Magneto, old Xavier, we just have to sort of know that because we know the franchise. In that respect.
1: Yeah, it, it plays off our past relationship with them and with their relationship with each other. Yeah. Like we get that moment near the end with old Magneto and Professor X where they're having this really touching moment. Of like, oh, all those years we wasted fighting each other. It's like, that has no bearing on this movie whatsoever. Like, that's entirely... But no, no, no. In-
0: but that's what I'm saying is that that scene... We didn't get a... There was no point in X-Men First... that uh, First Class. and X-Men um, uh, Last Stand where... Xavier and and Magneto become friends. The only time we ever get that is in that tag on the Wolverine. That's not a thing. So, like, that's brand new. They just introduced that in this movie, that they suddenly become friends at the end of this big war. Um, That's that's a new thing. So, like, that doesn't help to have had the franchise before that, um, for us to know that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that really helps. It
1: does, though, but the reason that is at all interesting is because we know... Hey, you know, that they've had this very contentious relationship in the past and to be fair I mean most of it takes place in the past so we're aware of that but each of them gets like what five lines at the most in the future yeah so, but,
0: but, but to say we spend all that time fighting each other if you've seen first class and let's say okay and if this movie has to stand on its own that's fine but if you've seen first class you already know that they fought each other and in, in Days of Future Past like you said in the past we get a lot of their clear animosity towards one another um, and by the way, it's something, it's interesting, because in the comics, um, Magneto is like a... I want to say frenemy, uh, but that's that's a stupid word, and it's not really applicable here. But, but he's not, like... That's the other thing about the X-Men movies, that people have not understood as fans. And this is, again, because it's a product of a world before X-Men, before comic book movies were made by people who really liked the comics. Uh, so I think that's part of the problem, because... Magneto is more of a like different path to a similar end kind of thing, not really a main antagonist as they painted him in three different movies, and so that's really weird. That's a really weird choice. Apocalypse will be the first X Men movie with, I guess, if you, unless you count the Sentinels, the first X Men movie with a real um, like main of the of the main franchise with a real enemy. Striker was sort of an enemy in two, but really Magneto was like a problem. Um yeah, for most...
1: when Striker, I rewatched you recently, it's funny how they build Striker up, but then the actual bad thing that they have to stop at the end is all Magneto's doing.
0: <laughs> it's all Magneto, and it's all because Magneto sounds like a villain, and it's like it's almost like somebody who hasn't read the comics might decide that. And it's not that he doesn't do awful things. But the the interesting thing about X-Men, we spent so much time on X-Men, but the interesting <laughs> thing about X-Men is that, I mean, for me, as, uh, you know, as as a Jewish person, I think that the, the X Men are so interesting because I think that it Magneto and and Xavier the way they approach the world is so interesting. The conflict that they run into is one that at, religious groups have run into, um, people of, of various you know sexual orientations have run into, and even in in racial um, contexts. Although it's a little bit more difficult because it's harder to quote unquote hide your race uh, as opposed to like being in the closet or pretending you're one religion when you're really the other but the idea of assimilation the idea of forgiveness what do you do so humanity failed magneto in the holocaust that's his perspective that humanity when left to their own devices does something unconscionable and they're beyond saving and so that's his perspective and the only the only response to what they've done is you know total annihilation to be like no we're the evolution the evolved people we do not you know, massacre people en masse, which is kind of funny because he's kind of interested in that um, direction. But, you know, and he's taking that approach where he's, whereas Xavier is, who is like, and he didn't go through the Holocaust, um, but he his perspective is, no, we need to work with them and learn to live side by side, peacefully cohabitate and whatever. And and this is a struggle that has been uh, in any community that's sort of a, a minority in a greater community. And I think that that's, Back and forth is incredibly interesting but those are not opposing viewpoints they're different approaches to a similar problem and so by making magneto a villain it's a very weird decision because you know sometimes he's bad in the comics sure but he's not he's just trying to achieve he's trying to deal with a very real problem which is humans and humanity and their response to mutants and Xavier's is trying to deal with that same problem in the more like hippy dippy like love triumphs overall sort of way and that's why he's the hero and the x-men are the heroes quote unquote but but again it's not really such a clear it's more of a gray sort of situation um whereas apocalypse or whatever these characters are trying to like blow up the world or take it over or whatever you know i, I don't know i don't know much about those characters but those are real enemies so for me um I, I think it's weird that they made that that choice to make magneto so central as an antagonist so um have you seen anything this year that you've uh, that you any superhero movies that you've enjoyed? You you saw Captain America, right?
1: I saw Captain America. Um, well, the only other one I think is Amazing Spider-Man Two, which I didn't see.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: but yeah, I saw I saw Winter Soldier. I didn't love it. Um, I kind of.
0: How do you feel about it in comparison to uh, Days of Future Past? Just out of curiosity, did you like it more or less?
1: I like I liked it a lot more. Okay. Um, just because I think it's well, first of all, I think it's. You know, from my problems I had with uh, just on a filmmaking level with Winter Soldier, I think visually it's a much more interesting film than Days of Future Past, which is really bland and ugly just as a movie. Um, Except for
0: the the Quicksilver quicksilver
1: scene. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, That's such a a weird. It feels so out of place. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Winter Soldier. I think the problems that I have with it are similar to the problems that I have with Days of Future Past because. I also feel like it spends this entire movie spending a lot less time on, you know, singular themes and and character development than it does on the development arc of just the Marvel Cinematic Universe and just the way the way I I'm thinking of these movies at this point, this is the analogy I'll draw is it, these, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is drawing from the television model really strongly, but instead of drawing from the idea of a season of television, um, and like, not, uh, not, a, not a procedural, but just the op- whatever the opposite of, of a procedural television show is, where it's just a show like, more like, you know, Hannibal or Game of Thrones, that kind of thing. Right. Where just, this is a
0: season of television,
1: it's telling this story. Um, it's not doing that. It feels not just like a procedural, but all these movies feel like the season finale of, you know, whatever show this is. So it feels like there's been all this stuff that's, that's built up to this moment, and we're just kind of dropped in. And, like, they've saved all these big events for last, but we're only really getting the big events. And it always feels like... But doesn't that imply that they like...
0: feel on their own? Doesn't that imply that they stand on their own?
1: Well, no, because the way that they end is always like, tune in next season, because look at where we left it. It's going to get really crazy soon. Um, the only one that really stands, that really doesn't end that way, well, the, some of them do, I guess, but the one that really doesn't is the Avengers, because all the movies were leading up to that.
0: Right, so, and they all leave at the end. They all book Exactly. It,
1: I... It's able to kind of have a much more conclusive ending, because it feels like all the elements they were building up have finally, finally come to a head. And there's you know there's not a whole lot of of this kind of teasing setup that we get at like the end of Winter Soldier where it's like everything you just at the end of this movie is like everything you know about this world is completely changed so be sure to see the next movie to see how that you know
0: that's funny uh, the characters to me to me Shield has taken enough of a backseat especially in Phase Two we're in Phase Two right um, that. Uh, that it didn't like feel like everything was gonna. Ch- the only thing I felt was like, oh, you know what's really gonna change now? Agents of Shield, but that was it. Um, it's certainly not gonna impact Guardians of the Galaxy. It might impact the Avengers too in, a, in an interesting way. Um, but to me, it felt Shield feels shoehorned when you consider when you, when you put into um, Iron Man. You know, it feels shoehorned when it's put into Thor a little bit. Although, you know, their their job is to deal with like weird alien stuff. So, in some respects, it makes sense that Shield would be around. Um, in terms of it feeling organic, but Shield and the government and the fact that it's a government agency. And by the way, agents of Shield. Not to spoil anything, but the way they deal with this, they make it pretty clear that it's no longer a government agency. The way that it's going to move forward, if it's still a thing, is not necessarily under the auspices of the U.S. government. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting sort of perspective to take. And it'll make it a little bit different for Captain America moving forward. Uh, it could mean that Captain America deals with S.H.I.E.L.D. as a enemy organization because they're not associated with the government and he's, like, the government guy. Um, or it could mean that Captain America moves farther away from the government. I don't know. But the point is, is that in Winter Soldier, I felt like S.H.I.E.L.D., although it's shoehorned into, like, Iron Man 2, I think there's as much shield in this as there was in Iron Man 2 but unlike Iron Man 2 it didn't feel out of place. Captain America is in, in intimately tied to shield and to the government. So for me it, it made sense and so I didn't feel like it was like this big setup for like the you know changes in the universe and things like that. Um it's
1: funny because I feel like that's exactly what it is. I feel <laughs> it's totally with how the end of this movie read to me, and it's very. No, it's, I
0: thought the only thing about the end of the movie that read like that to me was that um, you know they're setting up Captain America three or something to do with Winter Soldier moving forward. Oh, yeah, that but, last scene was um, pretty blatant. But 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 that's it. And and by the way, I don't mind a scene like that because um, especially with the tag, uh, because I don't necessarily need to know what happens next with Winter Soldier. It wasn't like he's about to do something crazy, it was just like, he's not dead, and he's going to visit, um, you know, he's going to to sort of realize he was one of the Howling Commandos, and that's it, and they just drop it there. And if that was it, um, I wouldn't, I don't need to see the next movie. Like, I didn't feel like a, you know, you has to be, like, there has to be a sequel to this, so. um, And yet, it does leave it open. Like, clearly, you could follow up on that story. But you
1: will see Captain America 3, I'm guessing.
0: Oh, of course I will. But I love Winter Soldier, so I mean, you know, uh, and I also see Avengers two, and I'll see Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm gonna see everything. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm a huge MCU universe. Like, let's just be clear here. I adore the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even when they're not very good movies. Captain America one, okay. Thor, eh. Uh, Iron Man two, not so great. Good elements, but didn't really come together very well. Um, But you know. Occasionally they really strike gold Iron Man I thought was phenomenal I thought Winter Soldier was phenomenal uh, the Avengers was great um and so you know I'm I'm down for uh I'm down for whatever they they throw out next um especially since you know even just compared to other superhero franchises what else do we have there's uh just in terms of like and I'm not I'm not just I'm not like the bar is really low but um you know X-Men is like 50% rate, you know, it's a hit or miss. Every movie, you you really are taking a gamble on whether or not it's going to be good. Um, and then Spider-Man is, like, I happen to really like the new series a lot, but um, they've only released five movies from Spider-Man so far. That's nothing. And they've had, like, 14 years, you know, to release these movies, or some, something like that, so... Um, which is fine. I'm not saying they should crank them out all the time, but there's not really, a, like, a big pattern there, so MCU is the first big thing to really hit... And, you know, in terms of cinematic history, it'll be a big deal because they're the first ones to make consistent, whatever it is, like eight or nine consistent, you know, of reasonable quality films, uh, that are all interconnected. I mean, it's, 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 it's unprecedented. And and so I'm both fascinated by the series, where they're going to go next, what, you know, Kevin Feige and all of them up at Marvel are planning for the series, uh, you know, cause he has plans moving into like 20, 30 or whatever his crazy ideas are. Uh, so I'm, I'm down for it, um. I understand that not everybody is, but uh, I I find them highly entertaining.
1: Yeah, the the series is it's it's wearing on me, and I think the moment that it finally it made it, fi- it made it finally kind of broken for me is when I realized after Winter Soldier that there are nine of these movies, and I think I really like about three of them. Wow. Um, and they all came back-to-back. Back. I really like, I think, Captain America 1 and The Avengers and Iron Man 3 are all genuinely fantastic movies. Oh, and Iron, ooh,
0: movies. Iron Man 3, I love that, too. Oh, you liked Iron Man 3? That's so cool. There's so yeah. many, <laughs> it gets so much hate. I know.
1: I don't know why. I think it's a fantastic movie.
0: I do. You know who, The, the honest to God, the people who don't like that movie, I've heard two camps. I have two camps on this. Like, it's really frustrating. The one is comic book fans who, for some reason, decided that the only way they would be happy is if they saw this and when shane black said this on record he was absolutely right this racist chinese caricature on screen if that wasn't going to be on screen they were going to be pissing and moaning about it and for me an entire movie that's entire premise is defying your expectations showing what's behind the mask behind the suit that was the constant running theme in that film uh and then to pull the wool over everyone's eyes and everyone thinks that they're getting one villain and they get a different one um is so meta, so weird, and such a incredible. Like I was blown away uh, when that was the you know the big uh, the big reveal because for me it was like it was perfectly in tune with the themes of the film. It was perfectly in tune with the the sort of the the morality play that was going on. So uh, I I love that uh, and and it's well written. It's good and the other camp of people. So there's the comic book fans and I think this probably overlaps probably to some degree. But the other camp are the people who were. Really mad that uh, that that Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow saved Iron Man at the end. They were just they thought that was just ridiculous. Uh, and that's its own kettle of fish. But um, it, it, those are there probably isn't a really a big overlap with the comic book fans because Pepper Potts in the comics, spoiler alert, actually becomes a, a rescue. She gets her own suit. She becomes a you know s- superhero um, and and like literally does her own thing. She has her own. You know, thing going on her own plot line and everything. So um, they stopped short of that. I was expecting them to go much farther. I thought she was going to get her own suit, and they sort of implied that in the beginning, where he sends her suit onto her because his suits are only programmed for him for for Tony. But and um, but for some reason, he's also programmed it so that it can work on Pepper Potts. And so they sort of implied that there might be this rescue. A uh, uh, storyline that they might pick up later, um, but in any case, I I thought it was great. I thought that scene was great. Uh, I would have preferred that they take it even farther, but all in all, I thought Iron Man with, Iron Man Three was was great.
1: Yeah, the I mean the argument I usually see is like, oh, it's such the screenplay is so messy. it Doesn't you know? it's the movie has so many plot holes, and I swear to God, if I see the phrase plot holes one more time, I will jump off a cliff. <laughs>
0: I'm so I haven't found a single. Argument. I haven't found a single plot hole in that movie. By the way, I, I I don't like the big plot holes people talk about. Don't really make a whole lot of sense, but that's that's a separate thing.
1: I haven't seen a single plot hole in any movie that people have complained about plot holes in in so long. Like I, that's such a cheap cop out argument. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. But yeah, I, I think Iron Man Three is a great film. But I feel like you know, I think the first Iron Man's okay um and then i think thor 2 and thor are really really
0: awful um oh right 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 you remember you hated thor 2 i i i found thor is
1: genuinely a mess
0: i found yes uh, the screen the writing on that was appalling um and i and that's why the first half suffers so much and why i actually like the second half because there's not a lot of talking it's a lot of things <laughs> happening and i like the plot of what goes on i didn't like any of the um and you know it's so many ways it improved over the first one in my in my opinion so um but the less romance we got um the less a lot of things it was just better you know the, the big problem with the thor franchise this is again and this is this almost feels like an x-men related problem um is that they made thor and a lot like x-men where they like didn't bother to read the comics jane foster is the least interesting character in the history of comic book characters she literally is a med. She's not even an astrophysicist. They've made her slightly more interesting by making her an astrophysicist. She's a medic or an EMT or maybe even a nurse. I think she's a medic, though. Um, and so, like, the most interesting thing she ever does in the comics that I could find is she takes care of Spider Man one time when he, like, gets knocked out um, <laughs> in, in, like, after a battle. That's it! That she's literally just a medic. So, like, yes, um, Thor is interested in her or whatever but I don't think most of those comics focus necessarily on that relationship because there's not a lot there. You know, she's interested in him. He's interested in her, but like, and that's fine. Realistically, not every relationship is interesting, but then don't make it the plot focus. The problem is they cast Natalie Portman as this character. So now you have to put her in every scene. And so now you have boringness seeping into every moment of every scene and making her the focal point of all these plot lines like they did with the either in this one. Um, And so that's, that's a problem. Uh, Ideally, you'd have a character like Sif or one of these really interesting characters who get almost no screen time, um, and that's who you should have cast it with a big name, not Jane Foster. But what they figured in each of these movies, they're like, all right, well, there's going to be a lead male, and there's going to be, like, a love interest, and we have to cast big names for both of those roles without thinking, oh, should we check to see if these characters are interesting? Pepper Potts, interesting. Jane Foster, not so much. So that's, I think that's the problem they've run into with the Thor movies.
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this doesn't begin to cover my problem with Thor 2, but I agree with everything you no, said.
0: No, but I think it um, affects a lot of, you know, the first half of that movie is all about, you know, the whole plot is centered around Jane Foster. Th- that there's no reason for it. It makes no sense. She's boring, boring. I don't know why they would bother with it, except for that they've got Natalie Portman under contract. But it doesn't make any sense. To have cast her in the first place, and now they've they've got a problem because they're realizing how boring she is, and they don't have anything to do with her. So they make her, you know, this object that gets infected, and then this object that needs to be saved, and this object that, and that's just boring. It's not it's not good female portrayal. It's not good story wise. It's not good. You know, it's not interesting to watch. Um, and it was really only after they introduced Loki and got Loki into the story a lot more that they made it into a much more interesting story than what it would have been. Um, oh, really? So I
1: Oh, God. No more Loki, I think.
0: Really? That no, was the first yeah, time I really... enjoyed him. That was the first time I've enjoyed him in all, in all the movies. Like, no, genuinely I, I enjoyed thought,
1: him. I was fine with Loki in The Avengers, but I, the only reason he's in this movie at all is because people like Loki for some reason, and he's so shoehorned in. He's such a boring character. No, that's the word to describe all these characters. Everyone in <laughs> Thor is incredibly boring um just mind-numbingly the villain in thor 2
0: i can't even remember
1: i can't tell you anything about that villain nothing yes no and and
0: what was really sad is they cast christopher eccleston who's a phenomenal actor uh he's a shakespearean actor like really talented changed his voice and disguised him beyond recognition (laughs) So why? Why would you hire this phenomenal... Uh, you could have had a, 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 a monkey in a suit do this role. There was no point in this character uh, being played by him. And also the character in the comics is a little bit more interesting um, uh, for that... Uh, oh,
1: Ma- I'm, it would not be hard, I don't think. Malekith.
0: Yeah, no, he's interesting. I mean, he has an interesting sort of uh, thing going on. The thing about Loki is, and this is, uh, this is uh, again, another side point, but but Loki is, um, really interesting in the comics, uh, as a mastermind. He's like, I'm trying to think of an analogy. There's no real analogy. He, he's a, he's his own really interesting character, but what he generally tends to do is get, do something crazy. Like, let's say the plot for the Avengers. Okay, that's like its own thing. He gets punished by Odin, gets thrown into prison. And then while he's in prison, he makes deals with various people. He makes deals with demons he makes deals with the the Enchantress, who's his or her own sort of crazy um, manipulator, mastermind character, and they are all these long cons in order to get him back out of prison, to get him back in position to um, yeah, end up in charge of Asgard. I mean, that's really his, his goal, and he continually is running these cons until he gets found out and then thrown back into a thing, and then he's sort of behind the scenes, sort of like what they're doing with um, Thanos. And that's what's really funny is that they're making Thanos this mastermind behind the scenes where he's not, in the comics, really a mastermind. He's just really imposing. It's Loki who's the mastermind who will make a deal with someone like Thanos. Thanos will do something that's well beyond his control and Loki will sort of, like, disappear for a while while Thanos goes crazy and then, you know, come back in the end and start a whole new con or whatever. But but that's really Loki's sort of role. Making him play front, st- front and center um, in The Avengers is not really his style. Um, So I actually like this movie because it was the most like him that that it's been. And and if they're true to the Loki character, they won't do anything with him as the new Odin um, for a long time. He'll just sort of pretend to be Odin for a while, secretly doing things on the side and just continuing to do his own thing and won't be a villain or won't be a a main antagonist. Um, So to me, I, I actually, that's, so that's why I really like this, for the first time, this version of Loki, because unlike Thor 1, where I honestly remember so little about that film, but, um, his, his whole struggle and his whole, like, the way he deals with it is not a way that I feel like Loki would do in the, in the comics, and his plot for the Avengers was not clever enough. He simply opened up a gate and let a bunch of aliens in. That's not Loki. Loki does things like he does in this movie, where he, you know, he does this whole long con on Thor just to get out so he can end up, you know, taking the throne that's that's much more his style so for me i'm i'm interested in 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 him taking a back seat for a while um but i i actually thought he was one of the, f- the f- few bright points in that movie
1: i think the inclusion of loki is just it's it's another example and you you know that I, in thor 3 i'm sure he's going to be back because yeah they wouldn't have in the comics sure they'd, they'd they could do something like his that final scene and just kind of let it sit. But in these movies, there's no way, especially with the fan adoration of Loki, that they would ever do something as interesting as just kind of let him leave him alone for a movie. Because God forbid Loki isn't in a movie. Um, right. So, yeah, and it's just the Marvel movies get on my nerves now when they do it's because of this very they're they're just so bland in it for for the most part you know when you get kind of you know, when you get the avengers or when you get iron Man 3 and you get these kind of there's a little bit of fire in it there's a little bit there's more energy and you can tell when you have people like shane black and joss whedon uh writing and, and behind the camera well not really so much behind the camera mostly in the screenplay. um you can tell that there's just just something behind the eyes of every character on the screen. There's just something a little bit more to it. Right. But then, like, the the visuals, the visual style of these Marvel movies, all these movies look the same. They all have the exact same visual palette. They're all brightly lit and very colorful, and they look the same. And that's, you know, I think that goes back to the TV show thing, where if you... um, we talk about this. We talked about this a little bit on our Game of Thrones podcast. How we'll, Michelle McLaren will come on to that show, and you can sense the difference, but it still pretty much looks like Game of Thrones. Right. Um, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a television show, of, co- of course, no matter who comes to direct, you can have Martin Scorsese come to direct, but there's it's still going to look like a Marvel movie because that's how Marvel Studios runs the business, and that's where we get into this talk about Edgar Wright
0: leaving Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because Edgar Wright...
0: Although, I, I will say that the reason that has been purported that he left was about script and not necessarily aesthetic, visual aesthetic.
1: Which which fascinates me, because Edgar Wright is such a distinctive, more so than any other director they've had previously, um, he's such a distinctive visual talent. You know, if you think about an Edgar Wright movie... They all have a very similar visual language, just in in terms of not of the editing, most especially, um, where he'll do those quick cuts with the quick push-ins to to get across a uh, series of events. Right, right. right. Um, that's a very classic. your right. So, I was really curious about his Ant Man because I, you know, you would, I feel like if his Ant Man had come out and it had been it it just looked like every other Marvel movie, then you would know that that's exactly what's going on at Marvel Studios, is that they just... The studio directs the movie, and that's this is what they want it to look like, and the directors don't have as much impact in, uh, on what the final product comes out as. Right, right, right. So, But if the, his Ant-Man movie had come out, and it was really distinctive and interesting, and it fit in, you know, maybe story-wise with the rest of the Avengers movies, but as a movie, it was it was like... An interesting movie unto itself that would have been very telling of marvel studios kind of saying and this is you know surprising that maybe this didn't turn out this way of them kind of stepping back and saying look people are going to see any goddamn thing we put out with a marvel logo on it let's just let him do his thing people are going to come out to see it you know and let's take a risk but that didn't happen and it's weird i think maybe that has to do with the screenplay too because like, you know, Edgar Wright, his rhythms in terms of the screenplay are also very interesting. Right. In terms of the way he'll do setups and payoffs that all kind of line up perfectly, and his movies are kind of uh, reflections of mirror reflections of each other. So, like,
0: if well, if you're talking about the Cornetto trilogy, but I don't especially, think... yeah, I was going to say there is
1: some of that in, in Scott Pilgrim too. Um, not certainly not to the extent of the Cornetto trilogy, but yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Um, I think maybe that's part of it, too, is like he puts to he tries to make this an Edgar Wright movie and Marvel says, no, we want this to be a Marvel movie. And because what what the rumor is, it came down to was that they rewrote the script and he didn't like it. So he walked. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's I, I think that's really disappointing because I get the impression and I think I don't think this is unfair that this is indicative of Marvel really trying to. Homogenize, yeah. You homogenize, know, yeah.
0: I think, I think. Well, first of all, let me just preface this by saying I'm not a huge Edgar Wright fan in general. Um, I don't think I've really enjoyed. I've seen Hot Fuzz. I've seen, um, I believe I've seen um, Shaun of the Dead. I know I've seen uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I came to appreciate Scott Pilgrim a bit more after I had seen it uh, twice. But uh, still very, I was very anti-Scott Pilgrim for a very long time, so I've only become a little bit less recently. But even then, uh, and I and I liked Hot Fuzz the first time I saw it, except for the last, like, maybe 10 minutes that famous action scene everyone finds so hilarious, I found really uninteresting um, <laughs> and unfunny and just absolutely uh, devoid of any sort of appeal to me. Now, not to say that it wasn't quality, it was, you know, humor is very divisive, so it's tough to nail that in a way that people would um, uh, that would be universally enjoyed. But I personally am not an Edgar Wright. Maybe it's our, um, our humor meters don't match up. Uh, but I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, a lot of people have mentioned that if it was visuals or if it was something about character of, of the director or something like that, that why James Gunn is able to do Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy without much uh, pushback and yet Edgar Wright wasn't able to do Ant-Man, I think there's two parts to that first Ant-Man's a tough property to adapt and I honestly didn't ever think they'd be able to do it in the first place uh because it's absurd it's absolutely absurd I mean it's a character who gets very big and very small and can talk to animals and flies around on an ant I mean that's his whole power Um, can you talk to animals just ants just bugs um
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, because I was going to say, like, a character who can just shrink and grow big is a that out of place, but if he can literally talk to ants... He has a
0: little, like, box on his face that he uses to talk to ants, so he can ride it around and be like, I need you to help me. But he doesn't... That's it's, amazing. It's not, like oh. a, it's not like a conversation. It's sort of like, you'll see him suddenly come into the scene with, uh, like, riding a, like, flying...
1: Oh, so it's more like Aquaman.
0: Bug. Yeah, more like that. Much more like that. Um... And it's, only, and it's not through some power. It's, he's a scientist. And his power isn't even a power. He has pin particles that let him shrink and grow. Um, and he's sometimes called Giant Man. So Giant Ant Man, it works both ways.
1: Oh huh. Yeah.
0: Um so but it's not really much of a power really the only thing Gi- Giant Man uh, does is that um he's useful as Ant-Man to escape from things or get away or come back or you know do things that small things can do but as a big person he's not like super strong or anything he just gets really big and that's really only useful so he can like grapple with something that's much bigger than any of the Avengers while they and go and do things that are really cool like whatever the Hulk can grab it and like try and throw it um or like whatever Iron Man can shoot it or whatever they do um Thor can bash it over the head uh but it's really just giant man like uh grappling with it while all of the cool stuff happens so I don't really know how he would fit into the Avengers in a really interesting way um he's more he works much better actually as a support and that's why I'm really surprised he wasn't just introduced in the MCU as a background supporting character as Hank Pym as a scientist working with Tony Stark and to have Bruce Banner and Tony Stark and Hank Pym working or collaborating on certain projects would have been a much more simple way to handle it. And then you could have him come in occasionally and help out with the Avengers, but mostly just be working as a scientist. That would have been a much more logical way to do it. So, so all of that aside, he was a founding member of the Avengers. He is an important character. Um, I wonder if Edgar Wright might end up... probably not. I think there's some bad blood now with, with Marvel. But they were together for like eight years or whatever, however long they were working together. Um, so I wonder if they might return to him for a more out-there project, something that's a little bit less risky. Um, because while, I, while Ant-Man is kind of out there, it's not Guardians of the Galaxy crazy. And so if there's another Guardians of the Galaxy film or if there's another Guardians of the Galaxy-esque crazy endeavor they want to go on, like Squirrel Girl or one of those crazy things... They might ask, Aunt, uh, they might ask uh, Edgar Wright to come back and do it just because um, there's not much to lose there. It's already going to be crazy. It doesn't need to really fit into the MCU in a meaningful way, anyway. So um, I could see that happening, but I do, I do. It is a little bit concerning, um, and I do understand now why they pick people like Joss Whedon who have distinct styles in both script um, and uh, and the way they handle their plots and things like that. But visually. Joss Whedon isn't like, whoa, that's a Joss Whedon film. You know, it doesn't, he's a TV director. He's a TV director, and it works on the big screen in a way that doesn't feel totally out of place, although I did have some problems with that. And by the way, I while homogenization sucks, I did have a problem with um, the way some of the script came across in The Avengers. It was one of the few things I really complained about that movie. Uh, the Avengers has really Whedon-y moments where he says things that are... where characters will say things that are just totally... Um, out of character that sound like something Joss Whedon would write, but not what they would say. And, um, and you get a little bit in each movie, you know, Tony Stark sounds a little bit different in each Iron Man movie and, and in the Avengers, but, um, it really sounded crazy and out of place there and much and too, too much like with the director's hand in the middle of it. Um, and so to some extent, I kind of like having these characters have established sort of personas and stuff that are contiguous across the movies. Um, it would be cool if you have starting with an origin film like Ant Man to have Edgar Wright set up that tone that has to then carry over into other movies, um, like John Favreau did for. You know, Tony Stark has to be quippy and quick and fast and a smartass because John Favreau wrote him that way and made sure that he was basically Robert Downey Jr. on screen. Uh, and so that's its own thing. But um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing that they're steering clear of, like, really intense, you know, auteur directors. I think that's a it's 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 both a good thing and a bad thing i see what you're saying creatively i can understand how that's a little sad but at the same time um it allows tony stark to be in 15 different movies and not feel like a different character each time
1: i wonder if it's because i guess we'll see with guardians of the galaxy but i wonder if maybe they let james gunn off the leash uh with that one and now they're starting to see the results so now they're at this point, they wanted to rein in it, right? Right, because they, they weren't really happy with it.
0: But they, but, but the reports again, this is all hearsay, right? Um, but reports are they love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's phenomenal. Hmm. The Marvel, well, Marvel, well, I'm Super sure, they, I'm sure
1: they do.
0: I mean, if... of course, that's of course what you're going to hear because they want you to go to see the movie. But, yeah. um, but they, so word on the street is that the studio likes it. So, um, yeah, it's a little weird that they would go that route. It's
1: weird. I mean. At this point, I question. Remember, Ant Man's supposed to come out in a year. Yeah, they're, they're going to push out. it.
0: They're going to push it.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they just canceled it because it's not like Ant Man has any prior connection to this universe. No,
0: and his big his big plot is Ultron, and they're just that doing even that anyway. Weirder, yeah. So they're just doing it anyway. So it's like, well, why bother then? You know, like he's not that interesting. He's not that essential. If you're not going to do the coolest thing he does, is he does Ultron, which is its own thing. And the other thing he does that um, I can remember is he creates the big house, which is actually a very small prison, uh, where he takes um, all the. There's like six major prisons in the MCU, and one of them is the big house. And what he does is they take the villains and they shrink them down. And he has this very tiny, and he shrinks down and goes into the jail to sort of monitor it. And they all live in this this cell. But so even if they escape, they're still like ant sized. Um, That's pretty. I like which, that. Which is pretty, just pretty awesome. Um, and it it it's, it's on the helicarrier. Um, and the helicarrier, and at some point somebody makes it big and it like blows up the helicarrier. It's like a whole thing. It was, it's pretty amusing. But, um, but the, the patrol guards in the big house are Ultron, the prototype for Ultron that then becomes evil and yada, yada, yada. So, but they're not doing that. So I don't know what the point is. You know, I don't know why, uh, why you want to introduce this character except for that MCU wants to prove that they can be wild and crazy and do whatever they want and sort of flaunt the fact that their franchise is doing better than everybody else's. Yeah, it's. So I I don't know why they would do it. It makes more sense to do like Black Panther or something at this point.
1: Well, yeah, like I I would be happy if we don't see. I don't I don't really care if we see another Iron Man or another Thor or another Captain America. Um, Ant Man is cool, but like the only reason that Ant Man really held any interest for me was because of Edgar Wright. Like it was Edgar Wright was on this project before the MCU was even a thing. So the fact that he's gone is almost like.
0: Well that might well, be part cares? of it though. That might be part of it is they were willing to go with him before they realized they were gonna have this massive hit on their hands. Yeah, that's a good point. So that I think that's part of the big the big deal. But also, you know, some people and I know this was debunked that he wasn't you know, he wasn't on schedule or whatever. But if they're still just going over scripts and it's only a year away, I I don't know. I'm thinking that they maybe were not moving as fast as maybe Cornish and, and, and Wright weren't getting scripts in fast enough or or they weren't making changes fast enough, or they were trying to hedge their bets to see if they could, you know, I don't know, but it seems like... Yeah, it, that's true. Um, because that's, that's really cutting it close, especially for a big movie that's going to require a lot of effects, a lot of posts. Um, so, I, I don't I don't know. So, what what do you want for the MCU? you <laughs> like, no more Thor, no more Captain America, no Ant-Man.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, it would be cool. I'd like... Uh, miss marvel movie or maybe a black widow movie or like uh, or black panther movie or like new people new yeah. characters characters who are different and have different perspectives on the, than world. the characters you've yeah, sure. already seen and that don't that aren't necessarily i'm sure they which they would anyway but whatever that aren't beholden to this avengers world that we've established they set up at the end of winter soldier a, a new interesting track for black widow make a black widow movie Everyone likes Scarlett Johansson. Everyone would want to see that. You I'm know, actually, something...
0: you know, I'm I'm really surprised they didn't set up more something there because um, in the comics, uh, or it wasn't in the comics. This was in Earth's Mightiest Heroes, um, the cartoon show, which you should definitely watch. By the way, everyone listening, you watch it. It's Earth, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes is awesome, uh, and Black Widow in that is constantly sort of double agenting for Hydra. It's like a whole thing. Um, so I was really surprised that they're just not even going to bother. They're like, nope, we're not, nope, she's definitely just S.H.I.E.L.D. She's all good. Um, but Romanov in the comics is, like, uh, or, sorry, in the show is, 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 uh, uh, definitely playing for both teams. It's not really clear where her allegiance is. Hawkeye often ends up becoming enemies with her because she's, like, She'll just bolt in the middle of a mission, and he'll realize that she's been working with Hydra, and then she'll come back, and it, it's a thing. So, um, and it's partially because you know she worked in the Soviet Union, and they had Hydra ties and all that. So it makes sense with her Russian background. Um, they haven't really played that aspect of Scarlett Johansson's character up all that much. So I wonder if that's why. But, um, but yeah, so they could have really done that, and that would have been really interesting—a movie where she's, we get to see a lot of Hydra. That's not just the cartoonish enemy that we saw in um captain america 1 but like really in depth really seeing their logic and making them into something that's a little bit less you know um one-dimensional and they could do that with black widow but they didn't really set that up at all but yeah miss marvel would be a good choice there's a lot of interesting characters in the female characters there's a there's a lot of black characters that are really interesting in the marvel universe um that they could they could tap into and characters like luke cage and, and characters like that are really cool because and they're doing them in the they're doing the tv show right they're doing the tv show and that's kind of sucks because it's like well they're getting relegated to the tv shows but you know matt murdoch daredevil is iron is tony stark's lawyer you know um so there's a lot of potential for crossover if they want to do it and unlike dc um which we haven't even gone to oh my god um the uh, Agents of Shield and and the MCU have crossed over a bunch already, so um, they're definitely willing to do that at least with that show. So I, I would suspect that we'll see some there. Um, but like Luke Cage doesn't really have much to do with the Avengers or any of that. He's he's like his he's like operating on the streets of I think it's Harlem, um, you know, doing his own little thing, and and that's really cool because it's like in the Marvel universe, but it's much smaller scale. It's not like you said, beholden to this whole thing with the, um, with the Avengers, and so he can sort of go and do his own thing, and so it'd be nice to have those sort of things, but, but Black Panther and all of them, they are, they are big heroes, and they are very tied to S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of that sort of scenario, so, um, they'd really have to either go real small scale, which I don't think they want to do. I think they were hoping that they could do that with Ant-Man, um, well, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) wow, um, no, but I mean, they, they were going to do a heist movie, you know, about, uh, Robbing banks and stuff—it's a whole, it's a, it's a plot line in the in the comics, um, and that's not about an alien invasion. It's not about a big enemy. It's not really about any of that. It's about Scott Lang and and Hank Pym. It's its own plot line, um, and very small, quick one-off to introduce the characters, sort of. Um, I think so.
1: ideally, what's that's what these in-between Avengers movies should be—is like we're going to do a Marvel movie, but we're actually going to do like. This other kind of movie. I think that's what they were attempting with Winter Soldier. Like all the talk about that movie was like it's it's, it's like a seventies conspiracy thriller, and like it's really not. <laughs> um, it's like it's, but like it's like, not. It, it's like it's like it's like all the president's men, except there's gigantic explosions and buildings falling over. There are, like, but
0: you gotta like the, you gotta admit it's far less over the top than like I don't know Iron Man two. You know what I mean? Like there's a, and, and I don't mean in terms of shield stuff. I mean like in terms of like just absurd amount of effects, explosions, things, even Iron Man 3 got crazy towards the end. This had three helicarrier things go down. That was it. For the most part. It was a couple of rockets. Pretty spectacularly. Pretty spectacularly, but, you know, I want a little (laughs) bit of blockbuster. I want a little bit of blockbuster in my, you know, my blockbuster, but um, (laughs) I I think that, you know, there's a couple of rockets going off, a couple of, you know, whatever, but for the most part, it was toned down in in that respect. It was a lot more punching and, that sort of thing going on, and I thought that was cool. Um, but that that's thats a side note. Um, but you're right. I think if they didn't do anything between Avengers 1 and Avengers 2, they probably could just jump into Avengers 2 and, not, and be like, yes, these kind of characters you like, now we're going to have them all meet up again. And we'd be like, okay. You know, there's not really a need to connect them with so much. But they haven't. I mean, and that's the thing I think is really important here. Phase 1 was really like, we're building the Avengers. No, we're really doing it. No, no, it's really, really coming. And Avengers uh Phase 2 has really been less about that. I mean, th- there's been hints and stuff and callbacks to the Avengers because you know, we, they knew they had a big hit on their hands and everything. But it's less like they don't need to build as much up. There's not as many references. And maybe with, you know, and now with Guardians of the Galaxy, there's gonna be almost nothing related to the Avengers. It's all gonna be related to Avengers 3 with Thanos and stuff like that. Um... So moving into phase three, I think they really are going to try these one-offs and, and be more along the lines of what you, what you're looking for. I think
1: that would be great. the The version of phase three, I, and we know this isn't going to happen because we already know that one of them is Captain America three. So I'm sure the other one's going to be Thor three, and then whatever you know else they have going. But
0: I think yeah, Doctor I'm, Strange will definitely be one of them.
1: Awesome! Great! <laughs> like my picture-perfect version of phase three is like whatever happens in age of ultron is just the fallout from that we don't see any of the other avengers it's just these are these new characters this is the world they live in that is post avengers 2 so we can see kind of like yeah, you, know, that, yeah. you know you I, know i like how they talk about in uh, iron man 3 they just talk about what happened that new york it's like he says nothing's been the same since new york and everyone in the movie, but also the audience just knows what that refers to. Right. Cause that's how people talk about stuff like that. Right. So wh- I think it would be so cool if the event, whatever apocalyptic thing happens in age of Ultron is just, we see the fallout from that reflected in all these different new characters. And whether that's Ant-Man or Dr. Strange or Ms. Marvel, it's like, th- you know, these are these new heroes kind of coming out of those events and not just these things happen to these heroes. We liked here are some other things that happen to them later.
0: Well, I mean, by the way, for Miss Marvel, they have a little bit of a problem because of the way they've introduced... E- she's uh, Carol Danvers, I think is her name, and she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. or a, maybe even a S.W.O.R.D. agent. S.W.O.R.D.'s another organization they haven't even talked about yet, who deals with aliens, I think, predominantly, but maybe they've just folded that in. That has, like, a an origin that has to be connected to what's going on already. Um, but, yes, and also, the other thing is Miss Marvel, I think, is connected to the kree or the scrolls or something and they haven't even done the scrolls or the kree invasion i think they're hinting at it in agents of shield it's very unclear what's going on there um those are like shapeshifters that can take people's i don't even remember if it's the kree or the Skrulls who do this but i think one of them is they take like you know there's like a whole set of avengers who show up that are like the same avengers but they're really scrolls pretending to be or kree pretending to be avengers and they have to figure out who's fake and who's real and it's a whole they infiltrate it's whole thing kind of like hydra <laughs> and infiltrating and pretending to be you know shield agents um so uh that's the thing and i think out of that whole storyline they get the miss marvel thing at least that's how it happened in, in earth's Smite's heroes um so all of that aside um so there's that but I, I agree i think that they could do um their own sort of story their own sort of fallout uh, the one thing also to consider is this is Joss Whedon now getting a second whack at the Avengers, and I think this time he really will kill a character. And Oh, yeah. The, uh, I don't want to say hopefully for good because I like all these characters, but <laughs> hopefully for good in that I hope it has actual consequences. Um, so if Iron Man dies or if Thor dies or something, it's like, all right, we're done. And the thing about what's cool about Iron Man is they can replace Iron Man with another character. And, like, while we love Robert Downey Jr., he's great as Tony Stark, we love Tony Stark, you could have anybody in a suit doing the Iron Man thing. You could have um, War Machine, you could have Pepper Potts become Rescue, you could do other things. And with Thor, Beta Ray Bill is another character who ends up becoming, getting all the powers of Thor, and he could totally step in and do the Thor role if they need to bring back a character later on to sort of fill that void. Um, So there are ways to get rid of characters without getting rid of that role in the avengers and uh interesting ways like that so we'll see how that that sort of pans out cool all right so next time uh we'll be discussing the dc cinematic universe uh and uh, we hope you'll join us